All right, today we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this will be 1 Thessalonians class number 4. And so I think this will be a, a, a relatively easy class. Today we can basically read and make a few comments. And these are... Um, these are conceptual things, basically. Oh, I wouldn't want to call them a lecture, but they're more of a. Uh, the context of chapter two is more of a, a lecture, uh, somewhat. It's a testimony, if you. I think I'd rather use the word testimony than lecture, but I say that because sometimes in a very technical portion of the scripture, you'll need to run references. And you'll need to use other uh, context from other places to uh, to lay on top of the context of a specific chapter in order to uh, get a broader meaning or to understand the specific verses or chapter better. But in this case, this is a straightforward, that's why I called it a lecture, just a straightforward uh, laying out of uh, the, some of Paul's experiences, whether it was with them or other churches. And so we can pretty much move through these things and take them at face value, almost like some of our survey classes. But we will have some things to say here, so let's go ahead and get into it. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you. Say, these are things you know. You saw these, you witnessed this. And so he's going to build a little testimony off of these things that uh, this is not something he has to convince them that uh, that he's telling them the truth. They saw this with their own eyes. They they know about these experiences already. And so he's going to use these things to teach them a little bit about his own mindset, the way he sees things, the way he looks at things. And so a Christians can often take that. Uh, we often, uh, and this is not an entirely wrong way of looking at things. I'm going to take the scripture and I don't, uh, you know, I don't need no man. And it's not what a man says. It's what God says. We use those little phrases to point out the supremacy of the scripture. And certainly the scripture is supreme. The, the scripture certainly is primary as our source. But really, when we say that we do not need the uh, the word of man, that's really a falsehood. Because in many cases, the word of God is uh, inspired by God through a man telling his own experiences. This is what I experienced. This is what God taught me. And these are things that was allowed by God to be pinned down. Ephesians or Thessalonians or Galatians. And it is the experience of a man. The the truths that Paul knew were his experiences and what God taught him in his experiences and in many cases before his experience. But taken as a whole, it's the testimony of a man. Romans through Philemon and the Hebrews, uh, if you believe Paul wrote Hebrews, uh, it's the collection of a man's experiences and the lessons that he learned through him and what God taught him along the way, whether before, during, or after. And so when a man says, I don't need a man, I don't need somebody to teach me God's word, he's really not saying that from a from a biblical perspective. And so Paul is about to tell these people some things they know and some things that they have heard, they either saw them or they heard about them. And he's going to relate these experiences over to his own mindset. This is the way I see it. 
because this happened and this happened and this happened and that and God worked it out this way and therefore I know that this is the way to go about things and these people are supposed to take these experiences of Paul's take this mindset of Paul's and go forward and apply them in their own lives their own outlooks their own way of approaching things and so that is a large part of what uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is involved with so for uh, for yourselves brethren know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated as you know at philippi we were bold in our god to speak unto you the gospel of god with much contention uh, we we had problems at Philippi and he's saying I've told you about that story and he says uh, at least he's saying that they know about what happened to him at Philippi he says because we preached at Philippi and we had contention at Philippi and we were shamefully treated at Philippi he said but God still saved people at Philippi and God established a church in Philippi God established a body of believers in Philippi uh, Philippi he says now we're bold uh, he, we're bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. He said, we come to you and we have contention. We come to you and we preach and we have problems. But he said, we were still bold to preach to you because uh, we had problems at Philippi and God still established his work at Philippi. So you see very much it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hope. It's a boldness. It's a confidence in the gospel that it is not there completely and totally just because somebody told them they could have confidence in the gospel, but that they lived the gospel, experienced the gospel, and saw it work in the in the face of opposition, just as Jesus lived in the face of opposition, and that had effect, just as other apostles lived in the face of opposition and that had effect paul himself lived the gospel in the face of opposition and that had effect in this case he's talking about philippi he said so we were we had very much confidence to come to you and preach to you and the contention that we had when we came to you really wasn't a factor because we knew god was going to establish things in his own will anyway god was going to have his way in Thessalonica just like he had his way in Philippi just like he had his way at Antioch just like he had his way in Jerusalem many people had contention but many people believed for our exhortation uh, was not of deceit nor of uncleanness nor in guile he said we didn't come in with our own programs we didn't have to invent anything to try to circumvent the the we didn't have to come up with a with a cunningly devised program in order to circumvent the opposition let the opposition come uh, we don't need to to come at you from a, from a, a guile standpoint we didn't have to come at you with a dishonest viewpoint try to slip the gospel in on you while you weren't looking he said but we just came straight forward preached the gospel in the face of opposition and we were allowed by God to be put in trust with the gospel, so we came at you with the gospel. If we're 
allowed to be entrusted with the gospel, the gospel is what we ought to use. And that's what Paul is saying that he did here. Even so, we, well, let me read verse four, uh, verse 4 altogether again. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our heart. We're not trying to please men. Uh, a lot of times we a lot of times in the modern day 2021 uh, we're talking about trying to trying to approach men from a softer sense of things to where and really all you're trying to do is trying to trying to circumvent or circumnavigate the uh, uh, circumnavigate's not a good word I'm in my history class now uh, trying to uh, circumvent to go around the resistance go around the, and it's okay to want to get as many people as you can and you don't have to go in and slap somebody in the face and you know and be rude and be a jerk and stuff like that but the uh, christ is a rock of offense the gospel is offensive to people you are not good christ is good you need to be saved and the proving of that can be a very brutal thing on a person's mentality a lost person's mentality so he says, we didn't use, in verse 5 he says, neither at any time used we flattering words. You know, he didn't approach them with flattering words. Now when somebody is saved and they need comfort, they need, uh, they need uh, relief, they need healing, they need, it's, you're still not using flattering words, but you use comforting words. And so Paul said, we didn't use flattering words, as you know, there's that phrase again. You know we, you know what we're talking about. This is a, this is an experience that you witnessed yourself, and the overall uh, gist or the overall uh, purpose of this chapter is to tell them this is the way it worked for us. This is the way it worked for us in many many places. So this is the way it's going to work for you. So you to use the same techniques the same methods that we use which is the preaching of the gospel but as we were allowed of god to be put in trust with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but god which trieth our hearts god tries our hearts god continually deals with our hearts about not just sin and not just the the ways in which we come short on a daily basis god tries our hearts in uh what manner we go about preaching the gospel. He continually tries us and reproves us in making sure that we continue to do things the way he planned it out. And the way he planned it out showed up in his life. Much contention. Verse 2, as he says here in this passage of Scripture, Christ met much contention. Uh, the apostles met much contention. Paul met much contention. Timothy Titus, they met much contention. The, the second generation church met contention. All down through history, we've met contention. But at this day and time, the what we call the Laodicean church that's rich and increased with goods, they want to keep those goods and they want to keep the high profile of the church so they're willing to make peace with the world and make nice with the world in order to do away with that contention. It's easy things, smooth things, encouraging things. That's just not the way God set it up. And if you're dealing with that kind of a spirit or that kind of a teacher, you're dealing with the devil. 
And so th- this is exactly what he's talking about in this passage of Scripture. You're to use the same methods year after year, generation after generation, and let the chips fall where they may. Some people are unbelievers. They're going to contend with you. Some people are believers. They're going to submit themselves to God and get with the program. For neither at any time used to be flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of, uh, cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought with glory. It doesn't matter how big our church is or how many conversions we got. We want all the conversions we can get. If we can win the whole town, wonderful. But we've got to win them with the gospel, not with our cunningly devised fables or not with their cunningly devised programs but if we're going to win everybody in this town we're going to have to win them with the gospel that says you are a sinner you are nothing uh, i should say you have nothing in your life that would commend you to god and in that sense you are nothing and christ is everything and he has made a sacrifice that will commend you to god he is the payment for God to pay attention to you now. And that if you find yourself in that condition and submit to that condition and call upon God, He will save you. If not, you cannot be accepted in the beloved. And that is it's very rough, but men are very rough. It's very terrible, but the consequences of sin is very terrible. And so these things are a must. These things cannot be messed around with or tweaked to, as it says here, uh, uh, flatter or use a cloak of covetousness or as a means of pleasing men and please them into accepting the gospel. It just can't be done. just can't be done that way. He says, Nor of men sought with glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. He said, we weren't trying to build glory, not from you or anybody else. We weren't trying to be a, a burdensome to you, but we were trying to be, uh, as he says in verse 7, gentle among you as a nurse cherisheth her children. A nurse that takes care of children, well, they care for their needs and they care for their problems and they fix their their injuries and different things like that. They make sure their uh, education is correct and all sorts of different things that a, a nurse made for children would uh, would have to employ herself with this is the same thing for winning folks to christ they, there's a severe illness that uh, a lost man suffers that has to be corrected there is uh, discipleship after uh, salvation all sorts of things and so it's a gentle approach but it's also a very bold approach. It's also a very straightforward approach. It's also a very offensive approach. And so it's it's not it's not man pleasing. It's not flattering. It's not covetousness. But it is gentle. And there are many parts of the gospel that should be gentle. Uh, there's, uh, you know, when we get over into the book of Timothy, we'll talk about some of the aspects of the ministry. There's correction that's not always lovely there's instruction in righteousness that you can be very gentle in that and you should be very gentle in that there's rebuke uh, i've never heard a nice rebuke and some people can do it nicer than others but a rebuke is a rebuke if you've been rebuked and been offended by it get over it and get on with your life uh should could somebody have been uh could somebody have had more manners and been less of a jerk? Certainly. 
And they'll answer to God for that. And God probably is dealing with them over those things. But the gospel in a new town, in a new place, to a new person that's lost, a a person that's getting a witness for the first time, he's going to find it very rough. He's going to find it very offensive to his own nature. But you should, uh, as a Christian, you should see that. You should stick with God's plan. You should tell God's truths, even if it's very offensive to the hearer. But you should also have that mindset of a nurse. I'm here to help you. I'm not here to hurt you. This is going to hurt, but I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not uh, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. See, that that verse 8 is a very good description of what verse 7 described as, he said, we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Verse 8 is just a description of that. And it's a very good description of it as well. He says, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail. It's not just, hey, let's just go in here and tell them they're all sinners. Tell them Jesus died for their sins. And if they don't like it, man, we'll just leave and go down the road. No, he's going to spend some time. He's going to put in some labor. If they don't believe it, he's going to go back and preach again. If they get mad enough to stone him and drag him out of the town, well, when God wakes him up, he'll come back in. You see that stuff in the book of Acts. Sometimes you you, um, apply some of these statements that are being made in these shorter Uh, epistles to these different towns and you go back in the book of acts and you'll see a greater uh, you'll see a greater uh, light on these situations here he says we were gentle among you and we're willing to impart it unto you not uh, not the gospel of god only but our own but also our own souls well somebody's soul has to be dear to you if they stone you and drag you out of town you get up and go back in and preach to them again so a lot of times you can read the book of Acts and you can see these, these uh, smaller details enlarged on a little bit. You can see them in action. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We uh, preached unto you the gospel of God. That's the labor. Uh, preaching may not look like a labor but it's a very laborious thing and it has effect on a on the laborer the preacher the witness long after he's given a witness you preach somebody believes or disbelieves you're still dealing with the effects the emotions the the weight of those sermons and the consequences uh, people believing and not believing you're still dealing with those things for a couple i'm talking about individual sermons you preach a sermon on sunday i'm often dealing with the the sermon from from sunday on monday and tuesday and it's a very weighty matter and so it's nothing if you think you're going to preach uh, go into the ministry because you get to preach on sunday and then you don't have to preach again to wednesday and then you've got to break all the way till uh, the next Sunday you are in for a rude awakening and you're going to quit. Um, that's just a little prophecy for you there. Okay, he says in verse number 11, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So in this passage we've got two great, uh, two great comparisons of a gospel minister. One is a nurse. Uh, one is a father. And so these things can be studied. You can look at what a, what a nursemaid does for children. 
You can look at what a father does for children and you can get a good idea, a great idea of the outlook and the approaches that should be had by a gospel witness or a gospel preacher, whatever the case might be. And he says, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that ye should walk worthy of God. Now, the, the nurse uh, similitude is a good one. The father similitude is a good one. But this charge is huge that you would walk worthy of God. Think about that. The next time you call somebody a legalist because he has standards, think about this verse. You're talking about that minister's job is to charge you to walk worthy of God. Oh, we're not worthy and I need the grace of God. That is true. But the commandment is to walk worthy of God. Okay, you recognize that you're not worthy of God? That's good. You should recognize that. Now, walk worthy of God. And this is not the only passage. Ephesians, uh, there's passages in Ephesians. There's passages all throughout the New Testament that tells a man to walk uprightly, to walk right, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith he's called. It's, this is not some uh, extraordinary statement that you can just sweep under the rug. Well, that probably means, no, sir, it's time and time repeated. We as Christians are charged to walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. God has called you into his kingdom. God has called you into his glory. Right now as a man, fallible man you may be, but begin to walk as dear children of God and grow up in the grace and knowledge of God and you'll come to uh, a place of power. You'll come to a place of strength. You'll come to a place of effectiveness. Turn your back on walking worthy of God. you probably end up back in uh, some of the same conditions you were in before you got saved. That's just a fact of the matter. For this cause we all, uh, uh, pardon me, for this cause also we, I've uh, read it again twice in a row, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. All right, we're going to stop right there, and we'll pick up in verse number 13 in our next class.